0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, and welcome to episode three of It's Not a Crisis, a podcast for women in their 40s seeking to navigate midlife's challenges while making the most of it. I am your host, Orin Wallach, and I'm very excited about today's guest and today's episode. I hope that all of you are doing well and hanging in there and not going out of your mind. I do think I've gotten weirdly used to this life that we're living right now, and as things are opening up a little bit, it definitely feels so good. I feel a weight off my shoulder, and I'm sure all of you do too, but it's been very tough with the kids, and so now figuring out you know what we can do with them for the summer, what feels safe to us, on top of dealing with what they're going through and just typical tween and teen drama in my case, which is why I'm bringing on today's guest, Amy McCready, who is amazing, and I can't wait to tell you more about her. Uh, but first, I just want to mention to you that I do this podcast because I Feel like it's my way of giving back to women in their 40s. I do this podcast also selfishly so that I can learn about what's coming up and really how to make the next chapter of my life more positive. So with that being said, if you can please subscribe to the podcast anywhere you listen, please rate it, comment. Please join our Facebook page, It's Not a Crisis podcast, uh, and Instagram, It's Not a Crisis podcast, and interact and tell your friends because if we can reach a certain amount of women, I can help more women, and that is the goal of this podcast. So, And I would appreciate it very much from all of you. So most of my guests, not all of them, but most of my guests I've found because I have personally worked with them at one time or another. And I'm super picky, and I do a lot of research before I work with somebody. I heard Amy on another podcast, and I immediately emailed her for help with my kids. I found myself constantly yelling and threatening and bribing and punishing or taking things away, and they still weren't listening to me. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I, I still don't have these issues with my kids because I do, but Amy has taught me instrumental tools in my life that have helped me in so many ways over even the past few years with my kids. Even as they grow into different stages, the tools continue to work. And I've worked with a lot of different parent educators. What she will teach you is incredibly valuable and practical, and that's what's important. You can read a million books on a lot of stuff, and it's overwhelming, but I think what Amy is going to teach you is very, very practical. Amy McCready is the founder of Positive Parenting Solutions and the creator of the 7-Step Parenting Success System. She is the author of two best-selling parenting books, If I Have to Tell You One More Time, and The Me, Me, Me Epidemic. Amy is a Today Show contributor and has been featured on CBS This Morning, CNN, Fox and Friends, MSNBC, Rachel Ray, Steve Harvey, The Doctors, and others. Her greatest joy is helping moms and dads become the parents they've always wanted to be. Amy, thank you so much for being here. I'm actually really honored that you chose to come on my podcast, and you know how much I adore you, so um, this is really exciting for me.
1: Well, I'm thrilled to be here, Doran. Thanks for asking me. It's always fun to do a podcast with somebody that I've known for a while, so
0: I appreciate being asked. Good. So I, I want to start with a story that... um I I actually texted Amy about the story. We never actually talked in person. And it was advice that Amy had given me, or it was a while ago, but I read both of your books. Um, I don't retain information as well as I'd like to. (laughs) One of the things that I took from it, and and there are many others, and we'll talk about it, but one of the things was natural consequences or a consequence relating to an action. So my daughter started middle school this fall. She's 12 and uh, turning 13, started sixth grade. And uh, she, in the mornings, would just kind of, like, hang out and not get ready, despite numerous times telling her to get ready. And this year, she was taking a bus from the West Village of Manhattan up to the Bronx. So you you miss the bus. There's no bus. There's no – it's no easy way of getting there. You know, we both work. We both have to be somewhere in the morning, and we can't bring her to school. So one morning – this was only, like, the fourth day of middle school – she, you know, she was kind of getting ready to go out the door. And I said, Oh, Tatum, by the way, when you get home, can you please clean your room? And she's like, I cleaned my room. And I said, I need you to clean it better, but just do it when you get home. And in that moment, even probably a couple minutes before we're like, you're going to be late. Hurry up. The bus is coming. And we had an app that we could watch the bus coming. So we knew it was coming. And, uh, in that moment, she decided that was a good time to go clean her room. And and we were like, Tatum, do not go up those stairs. You're going to be late, and you're going to miss the bus. And now, my husband, I what I'm very lucky because he he usually, not all the time, but a lot of times we're we're very much on the same page. So he had known that i I'd spoken with you. I think I called you and I said, as she's every day. I'm yelling at the kids every morning. Nobody's getting ready. No one's getting out of the door. And I'm sick of it. And I think I can speak for many parents who go through this. And and I believe the advice I got was, you know, if you if she misses the bus, then on your own time, you let her know that when you can do it, you will take her to school. But that might be 10 o'clock in the morning. And if she misses the bus, that's going to be the consequence of the action. And if if I'm wrong with what you told me, we can go back to that. But I believe that's that's something you said. That's right. As long as you kind of revealed it to her in advance and she knew what the deal was, right? Yes. Yep. So um, lo and behold, she finally gets out the door after us, calmly saying, you're going to miss the bus, Tatum. Going upstairs right now is not a good idea. You should really come down. You're going to miss the bus. She goes outside, the bus driving away. She was hysterically crying on the sidewalk, like pounding her fists. Please take me to school. Please take me to school. And I said, sorry, I have a nine o'clock meeting. I'm not going to be able to take you to school. We gave you numerous warnings. We told you what had to be done. I've never seen her so hysterical. So of course, in that moment, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I just did this. I'm the worst parent ever. (laughs) And and I uh, didn't follow through a 100% with the waiting until later because it was her first week of middle school and it was already hard for her. But I ended up taking her in an Uber, which cost $140 round trip. And all the way there, I said, you know, I had a nine o'clock meeting that I'm missing. I'm like, "This this is not okay. And I said, and you are going to pay for this Uber out of your allowance until you pay it off. And I dropped her off at school, and I then I called a bunch of friends. I probably texted you, Amy, and I was like, oh, my yeah. God, I feel awful. <laughs> I'm, and the look on Ty's my husband happens to be a little bit more of a helicopter parent than I am. The look on his face when we were both looking at each other, like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? All right, let's just do this. It was so hard, but she was never late again. Not one day the entire year. She never missed the bus again. <laughs>
1: But you allowed her to experience the consequence. So she wasn't late for school, but she did have to pay that off with her allowance. So she knew ahead of time what the deal was, and you followed through. So that was a great parenting moment there. It was so hard, though, wasn't it? And that's so hard. I think she's going to be
0: traumatized by it, though, or she's going to bring it up for the rest of my life. No, (laughs) she
1: is not. What you taught her in that moment is personal responsibility. And like you said, she hasn't been late again, right?
0: Right, and you know, I I remember we had a parents' back to school night a couple days later, and um, and everyone's like, "How's the first week going?" I was like, "Well, Tatum missed the bus, and so that that wasn't good." And they're like, "Oh my God, what did you do? Did you drive her?" And I said, "You know, we're talking about it, and everybody was kind of blown away that I actually followed through with it." And I always get like, "Oh, I wish I could do that." Like, you can do it; you just have to do it. I think our generation in general, and I'm guilty of it myself. We we tend to try to do so much for our kids, and it backfires.
1: Well, and I think that is one of the hardest things about parenting in general, but particularly in parenting tweens and teens, is we kind of forget our job description, and that is preparing them to be adults, right? Our job at, at this stage where you are right now, particularly, is taking them from being you know completely dependent on us to being fully independent. And that is a really big shift, right? And there are a whole lot of skills that they have to acquire. And that one little thing that you did is huge in helping them make that shift. And so it is hard and it's gut-wrenching for both parties. But those are the little things that we have to do for us to fulfill our job description, right? So like, feel proud of yourself there. That's like a big fist pump moment for you.
0: So the more that I've put into play what you've taught me, the more I truly see, um, I didn't grow up that way. So my mom did so much for me, but she did teach me competence and and she did she did have me do a lot of things on my own. But at the same time, I don't know, it was kind of somewhere in the middle. Sometimes I felt like she had me do too much. And so then there's that part of me that's saying, oh, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm making her do too much and I should really be doing these things for her. But we're not going to get into that right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think some of the things that, that parents are facing in this kind of tween, early teens stage right now. Um, I, I'm obviously in the thick of it with a tenure almost, he's turning 10 next a couple weeks. I think it's the um, threatening, bribing, uh, yelling, which let me tell you, I have not been parent of the year in this quarantine. I mean, I've lost it more times than I can tell you. And I have bribed and threatened more times than I can tell you because you're just done. It has not been easy to to put any advice into play. <laughs> and I actually keep saying to my kids, you're going to forgive me for this time one day, right? When you're a parent, you'll go, oh yeah, okay. I, that must've been really hard, mom. One of the biggest things that, that I'm coping with right now with both kids is negotiations. Mm-hmm. One of the other things you taught me was you know, allowing a kid to, to, in the right circumstance, to plead their case, to be able to talk calmly about why they think whatever mm-hmm. it is, is, is the right thing to do. However... My children's negotiation is like, please go set the table. Please go take a shower. Time to go to bed. Whatever transition is going on is a, well, but what if I, ba 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 and then, I mean, everything. There's just a negotiation for everything. And I don't know if that's them trying to just kind of show their independence, or is it me trying to hold back on... Giving them their independence out of a sense of control, but it's just once in a while I'd be like, guys, I'd just like you to say, Okay, mom, and just go do it. Yeah. I think friends of mine struggle with the same thing. So I so I'd like to touch on on that. And then the second thing that I think would be great to talk about, and we have other things, is I've I've seen a lot of my listeners posting about with the older kids, the eye rolls and the attitude and wanting to stay in their rooms and only coming out when they want something. And uh, we chatted briefly and um, you had a suggestion for another podcast. <laughs> and I love the idea, which you can, you, you tell me what you said to me. It's funny, I was looking at some of the
1: comments from your listeners, and I know we've talked about this negotiation and all of that. And some of it is just the natural individualization that happens when kids are this age, like they are supposed to do some of these things. They are supposed to separate from us. They are supposed to exert more independence, control, all of those types of things that is supposed to happen. But then there are also things that we as parents do that make it worse. And so i want to touch on some of those things. And there are some simple things that we can do to kind of make the the situation better. As I was sort of preparing to chat with you, I kind of, you know how I am. I'm such a, like a trainer by heart. I, I kind of just sort of came up with this like five point system, if you will, just to sort of address some of these things. So I thought we could just sort of chat through that if that makes sense to you. Yep. Wonderful. So the first one, and, and some of these have to do with our kids and some of them have to do with us. And so the first one you hear me talk about all the time, Doran, And it's just that emotional connection with our kids. So as we're home and everything is so stressful, whether it's during quarantine time or not, you know, as your listeners are listening to this podcast three years from now, hopefully, you know, it's not going to be in this situation, but there will be other stressors that are going on. And so as life is stressful, whatever it is, we just have to do a gut check and make sure that we are taking those moments on a daily basis to have that emotional connection with our kids. And what that means is spending one-on-one time with our kids every single day. So that means you and Tatum, just you and her 10 minutes a day where you're doing something that she likes to do. So just as an example for your listeners, like what would you guys do? Like, you know, we call it in our course, mind, body and soul time. So what would you do with Tatum for mind, body and soul time?
0: Right. And we, I've had to not call it that anymore yeah. because they were catching on when they were younger. Honestly, since we've been outside of um, Manhattan, we're, we're in Long Island. She comes with me to just do errands mm-hmm. sometimes and we'll go get an ice cream. Mm-hmm. I am honestly contemplating moving to the suburbs because I love our car time together mm-hmm. where we really connect and talk and then we watch a TV show together. So, the, I mean, those are, other than that, she's in her room.
1: Okay. So it could be watching like a Netflix show that you both watch. It could be right. reading, like if your kids like a particular chapter book, It's it sounds silly, but reading to your teenager is a really cool thing. It's a book that you guys both like, but something that you are doing with your teenager, it's just one parent, one child, because even though they're teenagers, they still have that biological need for connection. And when you meet that need everything else becomes a little bit easier. They're more cooperative. When you need them to do things, they're more open to doing them. Everything isn't such a battle. So that is always where we start. I mentioned to Doran this sort of branded term that we use called mind, body, and soul time. I use that with parents because it reminds parents that during that 10 minutes or so a day, you're like fully present in mind, body, and soul. If that feels too corny, to say those words to, the, to your child. You don't have to use those terms, but that's just for you to keep that mindset top of mind. But really be conscious of that. What I find over and over in my work with parents is that as the one-on-one time and that emotional connection time starts to fall off the radar the backtalk, the negotiation, the sassiness, the attitude starts to increase. It is absolutely an inverse relationship. So that's always the first place that I want you to start. And just again, ask yourself, how is my one-on-one connection time with each of my kids? So Dorn, I want to just like stop there with you. Any, Any thoughts or challenges you've had there?
0: I think when we first started reading about mind, body, and soul time, we were like, okay, guys, it's our 10 minutes together before bed. Let's get in. And it like became almost too routine and too forced. And like, we were kind of like, "Ugh, God, you know, we are busy, long day. When I, when I started to not put so much pressure on myself for that time and just kept in the back of my mind, okay, you might not be able to do this seven days a week, especially right now. But when you do have a few minutes you know I, I really try to I'll, I'll say to my son, we actually just started um, he's really artistic and you know I, I have an artistic background and mm-hmm. um, he had a little bit of a meltdown a few weeks ago and he's a kid that's very happy and keeps everything in. and he had his first meltdown in this quarantine. and we had a long talk and I said, hey, I was like, hey, bud, have you been drawing at all? And he said, no. And I said, you know what? I haven't been painting or doing anything or creating or designing. I said, I just don't have the bandwidth. I just haven't been able to. And uh, we decided that we were going to make a once a week time together where we would both do our own individual art projects, but we would do a check-in with each other and sit with each other alone and and do art. Now, unfortunately, that only happened once since we decided, I don't even know why the days get away from us, and before we know it, we haven't done that. Mm-hmm. But I do see—I see more of a difference in my. I think my son is in that negotiating stage, like way, way more than she is, and I—I I see a difference in my connection with my daughter when I have that alone time with her. Mm-hmm. Everything changes towards me. She's a lot more loving and open, and happy to be around me. And so you're right. It, it definitely makes a difference. Him, I, I think the same too. And um, and when he was younger, I was starting a business when he was little and, and he had a rough year at school and I was really busy. And looking back, I think we were on vacation and we're spending time together and he was a lot more calm. And I was like, oh God, this is my fault because mm-hmm. I've been busy and I haven't been spending enough one-on-one time with him. But there's something very you know, it's meaningful. It's important.
1: Yeah. And and what I also heard you say was that he seems to be generally a happy, easygoing kid. And what also tends to happen is that when they're happy and easygoing, we think, oh, they don't really need it. Everything's fine. But, and then things go haywire and we're like, whoa, where did this come from? Yes. And so if we're not doing that, it's like, okay, yeah, they're happy and easygoing until they're not. And then we're like, whoa. So my encouragement for all of your listeners is to whether you're having struggles with your kids or not, this need is, I'm telling you, it's biologically wired within your kids. They they really desperately need it. And so again, I, I recommend what Doran said, like, don't make it this big, like, oh, we're doing mind, body and soul time before bed. Like do it in the you know, where you can in your day, but make it a thing that you do. Like make it intentional and find the time to do it, whether it's with the art or reading to them or whatever it is. But then the other thing that I also recommend is bookend it. And what I mean by that is when you're done, say, Oh man, I loved hanging out with you. I loved having one on one time with you. This is one of the best parts of my week. Like punctuate it with reminding them of how special this time is. And I am telling you that you will see a difference in their cooperation, their attitude, their energy. Things just get lighter and easier within a couple days of implementing this practice. So if you do nothing else from what we talk about in this hour, just do this one thing because it truly makes such a
0: difference. So that's kind of the first of the five Steps in the solution, and and it does honestly. And I and my my only advice, I think, goes to what I what we, what you just said is just make it natural. Just Absolutely. Be like, I, you know, I'd love to spend some time with you. What if we take ten minutes and go, you know, go get an ice cream or go sit and watch a show or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, and I do, and I do always say how much I love it, not just because you told me, but because I actually really do, yeah. and you know, want to make sure they know how much I love spending. Uh, alone time with them. So I love that. I mean, so many things that you have taught me. I, I practice all the time and I'm very grateful for it. So, uh, guys, this is who you, you should be listening to, Amy. <laughs> I, I tell everybody about you, Thank I do. You. I love the endorsement. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Okay, it's true. And I've read so many books and I've listened to so many people. Most of them are poo poo. Well, thank no, you. No, no one. I appreciate <laughs> that. Okay, so here's the
1: second thing, and this has to do with us too. And let me just also say, guys, that we all know this intellectually: that you cannot change another person. Right? You cannot change your kid. You cannot change your partner. You can try, but. It's, it's futile, right? You're going to end up in a giant power struggle. What you can do is change your responses to that person. And that is how you will be successful in changing their behavior or their attitude. So that's why so many of these things I'm talking about is really changing our responses to their behavior. This next step that I'm going to talk about is in that vein. So the next thing is I want us to think about how we are showing up for the other people in our family. So I want us to think about our energy. So when we pop into the kitchen or into the family room or wherever we are with our kids, how are we showing up? What is our energy like? If I asked your kids to finish this statement, my mom is always blank. My dad is always blank. How would they finish that sentence? Oh God. My mom is always stressed. Busy, concerned about work, concerned about what's on her phone? Or would they say, my mom is always light. My mom is always present.
0: My kids would say I was always stressed and frazzled. Yes, yes. Yeah, I get that because that's probably what mine
1: would do. (laughs) Right? But how do we want them to finish that sentence? My mom is always on my team. Mm Mm-hmm right? My mom gets me. Even when I'm having a really bad day, which is what tweens and teens have all the time, my mom is with me. She gets me. So again, I want us to think about how we show up for our people, even when we're having a bad day. So think about our energy. Are we light? Are we easy to be with? Are we difficult and heavy and stressed all the time? So think about what you need to do to lighten your energy. Maybe it's, you know, playing classical music or like yoga spa music or lighting candles. Like what can you do in your physical environment to lighten your energy? Maybe it's meditating for 15 minutes before you come downstairs in the morning. Like what can you do? And I'm terrible about that, by the way. Yes, um, I'm not a good. I'm not a good
0: meditate because I'm so type A. I'm just terrible. Me too. I've tried it so many times, so many times, and I start it and it doesn't get past the third session. I know we I, need to do a podcast. It, <laughs> so we you need to bring in a good expert on that topic. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not the seriously, one. but anyway, yeah.
1: really, like if we want to improve that energy between us and our kids. We need to show up as that lighter, easier person. Does that make sense? This is why moms drink
0: wine. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That that lighter energy comes after a few glasses of wine or whatever your poison is. Unfortunately, that doesn't help us in the morning, right? At eight (laughs) o'clock. No, it doesn't help us. But I think there are some moms that are doing that in the morning, but that's another issue. That's that's another podcast, Um, right? Yeah. I'm actually, I think in the morning, Probably the most calm, except, w- well, you know, when we're when we're trying to get out the door in the morning. Mm-hmm. But actually, when I started implementing what you taught me and sort of giving up that control of let's go, let's go, let's go, or caring if my kids said, I'm not wearing a coat today, I'd be like, all right, yeah. don't wear a coat. I think that it made mornings a little easier and it, you know, giving up that control of trying to make sure that everything was right. But okay, with, okay. That, that's amazing advice. And I think that um, whatever that is, I wish I knew what that was. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> if you're listening to this and you have advice for how you stay calm before wine time, let us know. <laughs> I would love to have this discussion. Okay. The next thing is
1: um, give up control. And so we talked a little bit about this the other day, Doran. You know, you don't have to do something about everything. Decide what are the most important things that you need to do something about. There are so many things that come up, so many comments, so many whatever. You don't have to do something about everything. Decide what you can let go and focus on the most important things. And now, again, as we go on in this discussion, we're going to talk about a lot of different tools. I would also think about where can you bring your kids into more of the decision-making process? Let them have more say-so in your family. It can be little things like getting them involved in planning the menu for the week, deciding where you're going for dinner Friday night when we're finally going back out to dinner at restaurants, like getting, giving up some of the control so they can feel like they have more control
0: in the family.
1: What are some other examples of that? You can implement, I know you're familiar with this, like family meetings.
0: Oh, we do that. By the way, we do that. Well, we and we haven't in this time. We were doing that once a week. I forgot that that was something you told me about. Yeah.
1: So super empowering. So there is a, a problem in the family, right? There's an issue where we're arguing over something, whether it's technology rules or whatever. Well, parents can come in and decide what the rules are or- you can allow the kids to have some input in how this is going to go. Or as I said, you know, deciding what the menu is going to be or what, again, when we're all vacationing, what the family vacation plans are. We have this much to spend on activities during vacation. And again, if we're talking about tweens and teens, what an empowering thing This is how much money we have for activities. You guys do the research and decide what activities we're going to do while we're on vacation. Anytime that you can bring them into the decision-making process, that's super empowering for kids. The bottom line is for most tweens and teens, their biological need is to have more independence and control, but we parents tend to be holding it all. One of the things, Doran, you're familiar with this. One of the things that we have parents do in our program is go through a parent personality assessment. So you kind of understand the natural bend of your personality. And for many of us, our natural personality style is to be very controlling. And that may be very effective for us in a work environment, but it is just, you know, very difficult in a parenting situation because the more we try to control our kids their natural reaction is to fight back. And so if you have a lot of power struggles with your kids, it's very likely that your personality style is naturally very controlling. So just something to think about there. Step four is to, in kind of like for in the moment, is to do a save face and a redo. So when you get that sassy remark in the moment, you do a save face, like I'm sure you didn't mean for it to sound that way, like, I'm sure you didn't mean for to hurt my feelings. I'm sure you didn't mean for the comment to sound that way. But then you do the nonverbal redo signal. So like, if you could see me, I'm circling my finger in the air. So ahead mm-hmm. of time, you take time for training and you say, you know, and, you know, in the future, like if, if a comment comes out that sounds a little bit rude or whatever, I'm sure you don't mean for things to sound that way, but I'm just going to do this circle of my finger in the air. And that just means let's try that again. Right? So it- Does that work? Will it work? Yeah, it totally works. But you allow your child to save face. You know what? Mm-hmm. I know you didn't mean it to sound like that. you know what I mean? I know you wouldn't mean to hurt my feelings. It just came out of your mouth that way. And then you give her the redo opportunity. But here's the key thing. It has to be a two-way street and she can do it to you. Okay. So the next time you kind of like lose your stuff a little bit, she can do the exact same thing. She does the redo back to you and you immediately say, you know what? That did not come out the way I meant it to. What I meant to say is, and then you restate
0: it in your calm voice. That is super empowering for kids. And then when you're the controlling parent that you are, doesn't matter. I'm your mother. can't do that.
1: It can't be a double standard. And then the last little thing for in the moment is you refuse to participate. So if they are like tossing up that really sassy comment or they refuse to do the redo, You're not going to get into a, excuse my language, a pissing match with them, right? Like you're not going to get into that. You're going to say, you know what, sweetie, I love you too much to fight with you about this. Let's talk about this later. And you walk away. That I love you too much to fight with you. I'll chat with you about this later when we're both feeling a little bit more calm and you walk away. But it's kind of like that tennis match analogy, right? Like if you and I were playing tennis, I serve the ball to you, you hit it back to me, then we have a game going. But if I serve the ball to you and you let it drop and walk away, now I don't have anybody
0: to play with. And you know what? I think that works really well with my daughter, especially because you know, my husband gets very offended if she does like a run out of the room and slams the door or has an attitude or whatever it is. And sometimes it'll be like, don't talk to your mother that way. And, and, you know, I think that's where you kind of get lost in between like, how do I teach my kids to speak respectfully to people and make sure that they understand that that tone's not acceptable. But on other times where I've experimented and said, you know, I'm just going to let her throw this tantrum and go in the other room. And oftentimes she ends up coming out later and apologizing on her own. Because does she ever speak
1: that way to anybody outside of your household? No. 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 And she wouldn't because you are her safe place, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing with tweens and teens is there is so much going on in their world. And right. Like, it's not great that she spouts off like that, but sometimes you know, it happens. And like, I I think we've talked about before, sometimes it just comes out and and you could go and make a big fuss about it in that moment and lay down the law and give her a big lecture and that whole thing. But by just letting it go in that moment, like you said, she comes out a few minutes later, she apologizes and it's over with. That's a one-off. Now, if it was happening every single day, that might be a different thing, but you don't have to do something about everything.
0: So Amy, I know that one of the things that we had talked about together and that I I try to implement is uh, something called Asked and Answered. And oftentimes with my daughter um, and my son – they're negotiating a lot and it's back and forth. And one other thing you also taught me about, and this is a separate, allowing your child to kind of show their, what's their case for why they're choosing what they're choosing and and convince me. I think that's Mm -hmm. what it was and see if it's, if, if you could be convinced or if you can't. My daughter, um, for example, the other day, she wanted to watch a new show and, um, I really didn't agree with that show. And I've actually been very flexible on what she's been able to watch, uh, especially in this um, quarantine. But I know her and I've seen the show. And for me, it made me super anxious and made me have bad dreams at night. And um, I I just don't think that she is ready for it despite her age. I just don't think it's the right show for her. So she asked me, I said, I explained what I just said and she came back at me again. And I said, honey, I I just don't think that this is the right show for you. I'm sorry. And then she came back and explained her case. And I looked at her and I said, asked and answered, but then she just kept coming after me. And, you know, to a point where it's so irritating that you just like, you lose it. So, um, I would love to know what I was doing wrong in that situation because I don't, you know, whereas I think other parenting experts have said to me in the past, if you give in eventually or if you don't follow through with what you say, then they're going to always know that they can keep asking or negotiating but I don't do that. So that's when I go to bed at night being like, you're a failure (laughs) as a bomb. (laughs) You don't know what you're doing. No,
1: you are absolutely not failing by any means. So, Okay. So the tool that you're talking about, Asked and Answered, is a brilliant tool for combating what you describe, that negotiating. So the child has asked for something you've thoughtfully considered what they want to do, and you've given a thoughtful answer. And so in this situation, the TV show isn't right for her age and development, and you've given that answer. It's intended to avoid that back and forth, asked and answered. And so in this situation, you delivered the asked and answered, but then she wanted to do the badgering. But please, mom, come on, mom. Everybody watches it. I want to watch it. Why can't I watch it? Why can't I watch it? And was probably following you around the house, right? Like just wouldn't let up with that tool or wouldn't let up with the requests. Is that kind of how that was going? A hundred percent. Okay. So that doesn't mean that asked and answered wasn't working. The key is whether or not you do anything after you deliver the asked and answered. So the key with asked and answered is you say, asked and answered, and then that's it. You stop talking. Because if you keep talking, if you keep explaining, if you keep giving verbal feedback, then she gets a hit of attention and power with each additional word that comes out of your mouth. She's not getting to watch the show that she wants. That's what she really wanted, but she's getting that hit of attention and power, and she's pushing your button every single time. So the key for that to be successful is you say the asked and answered, and then that's it. Even if she's following you all around the house, you just go about your business. You go fold your laundry, you eat your lunch. She check your email, whatever you have to do, but you don't respond. If you continue to give the payoff for her continued negotiating and badgering, then in her mind, she's like, oh, okay, this behavior works. I'm getting the payoff. I'm pushing her buttons. And so I'm going to continue to do it. The next time this comes up, this I'm going to do the same thing again. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I think that's, the part that I was missing. Now, let me give you another tool that is also very effective for this age group. So, this is another example that you could teach your kids for something like they want to watch a TV show or they want to do something that might be outside the parents comfort zone. They want to go with their friends to the outlet mall in the next town. They want to go to a concert. They want to any one of those things that are kind of like, you're like, oh, I'm not really totally comfortable with this. They want to start using a new social media platform that you're not totally thrilled with. And so as the parent, your natural tendency is to be like, no, I'm not down with that. That's not going to happen. And certainly that is well within your right. And if you're just not comfortable with it, you say, no, I'm just not ready for that. The perfect example was this TV show. You are not comfortable based on her age and development, and the answer is no. And sometimes that's the case. But sometimes the answer doesn't have to be no. Sometimes it can be yes, or sometimes the answer could be convince me. And that's what this tool is. It's called Convince Me. And Convince Me is a great tool to balance responsibility and freedom for your kids. And so, Let's say the example is they want to go with their friends to the next town to the outlet mall. And you can say, all right, I can certainly understand why you would want to do that. But let me share with you my reservations for you going to the outlet mall. And of course, you would go through your reservations. Well, first, you know, you getting in the car and driving with your friend and, you know, you're going to be spending a lot of money and like whatever, whatever all of your reservations are these are my reservations, but I understand this is important to you. So why don't you think about my reservations and why don't you come back to me with your plan? Basically, why don't you come back and convince me with your plan for going to the outlet mall? And then that's her job to come back and convince you that she has thought through her plan. She has a contingency if things go wrong. And then you decide, has she thought through everything you're concerned about? Do you think she's you know, basically come up with a list of uh, things that you think are safe and whatever that you think she can do this safely and, and all of that?
0: Yes, that makes perfect sense.
1: So in that way, then your child gets some practice in coming up with a good plan, then you can work with them to make sure that they can implement their plan. If they can execute on the plan, they go to the outlet mall and everything goes well, then they've establish some goodwill, if you will. And the next time they want to do something that is somewhat outside your comfort zone, then you feel more comfortable about that. And so again, it's another tool that you can use in your toolbox that gives them a little bit more responsibility that you don't always have to be the bad guy. You don't always have to be the one deciding how things are going to go. And you're working in concert with your tweener teen to come up with ways to give them um, freedom
0: and responsibility at the same time. Just very empowering for kids and for parents. I can see that my uh, son is, the younger one, is really looking for independence right now, even more so than she was at that age. I see how that, when I give him that, it's super helpful. And and, and it gives, you know what, honestly, as a mom, you kind of, it gives you one less thing to do. And (laughs) so if they're looking for that independence, it's great. Absolutely. And I think too, you
1: know, as we think about our role as parents, I said in the very beginning, you know, we, we often underestimate our job description and that is to prepare them to be adults, move them from being completely dependent to being fully independent. And so if your listeners could, you know, might even want to just jot down this list, it's a a list of skills. So think about, you know, personal responsibility, decision-making, financial acumen, health and wellness, household tasks, things like changing air filters and all the things that we do around the house that takes to run a household, social skills, all of those things that kids need to learn before they go to college or to the military or to their first job when they leave your house. Those are a lot of things that that kids have to learn, particularly for kids who want to be independent. Let's teach them all those things. Financial acumen. Teenagers, let's get them set up with investment accounts. I'm sure your husband would be all over that, right? Like, let's teach them all those things. That's super empowering. You ask for um, an example of giving kids opportunities to make decisions or give them control. Let's set them all up with little investment accounts that they can be investing money. How empowering for kids. And it's teaching them real life skills. There's so many things that we can do to prepare them to launch where they're learning real life
0: skills at the same time. Coming off of that, one of the other things you taught me, when my kids, it, and it's much more my older, she always wants things, always, even though she doesn't need them. And I'll say, you have to use your own money. If it's something that's not a necessity, you must use your own money for that. And um, she she is running out of money. And and she's like, I can't afford that. And I'll say, well, I guess you just don't get it. So even that um, has been a wonderful lesson. But But also this quarantine my kids, you know, not having as much cleaning help as I normally do, or not, you know, just being around all the time and the house being messier and things going on. They've both learned uh, to do the laundry and to vacuum the floor. And, uh, you know, that's the one of the bigger blessings in all of this is is that they've learned so much independence, independence around the house. They don't like it and they think it's going to end when this all ends, but it's not. It's not yeah, for, <laughs> You know, I think they just think we're just doing this right now to make mom happy so she's not going crazy. But Oh, Doran, one other thing
1: I wanted to mention, we were talking a minute ago about, um, you know, cleaning and laundry and all of that. You know, one of the biggest battles that parents face is getting their kids to do family jobs around the house. And, you know, one of my big things is I don't like to call them chores. I call them family contributions because... It reminds kids that when they do help out at home, it is a contribution that makes a difference. And I think it's important to remind kids of that. But that doesn't, that doesn't eliminate the eye rolls and the complaining and all of that that goes with it. So there are a couple of things that parents can do to just minimize that a little bit. One of the things is to, instead of just nagging kids about helping out all the time, um, they can invite cooperation. So, And again, instead of saying, come on, like, don't forget to unload the dishwasher or remember you have to, they can invite cooperation by saying, you know, um, I am really busy with some things I have to do for work. Anything that you can do to clean up or to help with the kitchen would be so appreciated. Or I've noticed the family room is just a wreck right now. Anything that you can do to help out would be so appreciated. So anything that you can do to help out would be so appreciated. You invite cooperation with a smile. It's so empowering. It's not requiring them to do anything, but nine times out of 10, they will actually help out and do something.
0: Yes, yes, yes. This works so well. I know, doesn't it? So well. (laughs) I mean, um, recently, obviously, it's just overwhelming how much that we're all taking on. And um, I think especially moms and uh, my daughter, helped me do a few things. I, I was like, oh, I was actually work related. I said, will you help me count inventory? So I really need somebody else here with me. And she did. And when she finished and she did not like doing it, but when she was done, I said, I cannot tell you how much that alleviated my stress. You were so incredibly helpful. And I just feel, I, I feel so much lighter now because I had your help. So I know you didn't like it, but thank you so much.
1: Yes. Don't require it. Don't badger. Don't nag them. Just invite them. Anything that you could do to help would be awesome. So invite cooperation. Second thing is when they complain about having to clean the bathroom or unload the dishwasher, just show empathy. I hear you. I know. That's no fun. It's my least favorite job too. Just let them know that you get it. Show empathy without giving in. It creates that little emotional connection. It goes so much farther than giving them a big lecture and you'll get so much more mileage out of it. The next one is when they have a job to do that hasn't been done, whether it's, again, taking out the trash or whatever, instead of reminding and badgering them about it, just say, what is your plan for taking out the trash or what is your plan for cleaning out the garage. Assume they've agreed to clean out the garage this weekend. What is your plan for taking care of the garage this weekend? That is so much more empowering than nagging or reminding them because it assumes that they have a plan in place. Because even if they totally forgot about it, they can make up something at the, in the spur of the moment and be like, oh, oh yeah, um, yes, I'm going to do that. As soon as I finish my lunch, I'm going to go outside and start on the garage." And you can be like, oh, cool. I know you totally had that under control. So empowering for them. What is your plan for? Does that work for husbands? (laughs) (laughs) I am not in the husband coaching business, but kind of it does. (laughs) Okay. I'll try a different approach. (laughs) Super Empowering. And then the last one is, of course, our longtime favorite, the when then. When your family contributions are finished, then you can enjoy your technology. And, of course, our technology curfew is 9 p.m. or whatever that is. A when-then plan. When the yucky stuff is done, then
0: you can enjoy the more fun parts. I, I love when and then, and it, it works really well. And I've learned to kind of keep calm when I use it. Another thing they caught on to when, when we were listening to your book in the car from skiing every weekend, and they we didn't think they were listening, and they were. And they're like, <laughs> don't pull that when, then and when stuff with us. It's so annoying. They don't know you. If they knew you, they'd love you, but they call you the crazy lady in the, in the Audible book. <laughs> yeah. I am a little bit crazy, but that's okay. They don't have to like me. <laughs> exactly. But when and then works really well. Is there another word that we could use or another way of phrasing that that's not when and then? No. No? Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> because because here's why. It is a natural order
1: in which privileges are allowed. When the yucky stuff is done, then you can enjoy the f- the more fun parts of your day. It's an, a natural order of the way things happen. And it's very distinct from an if-then. It's not like if mm-hmm. you get your homework done, then you can enjoy technology. That's very much a um, like a bribe and this is not a bribe it's very much in keeping with real life you know right like when you pay your electric bill then you get to keep your your lights on it's 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 just the way real life works i would encourage you to continue the when then phrasing because it's it's in keeping with teaching kids personal responsibility they don't have to like it they're never going to like everything that you do but it just, it works. Yeah. And it's positive. It's empowering. I can't think of a different way to phrase it that doesn't turn it into a bribe or, because that's what we want to get away from. It's not a bribe or a reward. It's just the way that we kind of structure things in, you know, for personal responsibility.
0: Can I interrupt on the, on the bribe and reward part? Can we, can we just talk about that for one second? You bet. I stepped away from that for a while and and we weren't doing it. So the two things that we tend to threaten um, are technology and um, dessert for my son. And I hate when I have to get to that point because I don't like to threaten. But if you've asked your child over and over again to do something and like like simply go to bed, what do you do that gets them to actually do it, I guess is the question. <laughs> I've tried using, you know, I'm, I'm, I really hope you're going to make the right choice. I've tried doing that, or I know you're going to make the right choice and then kind of walk away from it. So
1: I think it depends on what the behavior is. And we've talked about this before in, in, in the parenting success program that I teach, we do not advocate rewards at all. And there's a tremendous amount of research that proves that the use of rewards actually undermines the behavior that you're trying to teach in the first place and we don't have time to get into that in the session. So I don't advocate rewards at all. Or the flip side of rewards, which is punishment. So if we're dealing with bedtime, we deal with the bedtime issue. And again, that's a whole that's a whole session we could talk about in that. Or if it's, you know, technology, we would deal with that. I wouldn't tie dessert to it. I wouldn't tie technology to bedtime. Those are behaviors that we would handle separately. Because what ends up happening is I call that desperation parenting. Because it's it's sort of like you're throwing a Hail Mary because you don't know what else to do. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So that tells me that we need to dig in, Doran, right? Like we need we need to sit down and say, okay, why are we having trouble with this bedtime thing? Let's figure this out. We can always figure it out with other tools in the toolbox. And if I can't help you, then we go to a sleep specialist who can, but doing a Hail Mary and taking away dessert and other nonsense, that's not going to solve the root problem for you.
0: Not to get too much into my kids, but the sleep things have gotten much better. With my son now, we just let him read until he falls asleep. And we don't, we'd say, you have to be in bed at nine. I don't care what time you go to sleep. Just turn, he uses a Kindle, turn your book off mm-hmm. and go to sleep. And that was life-changing for us rather than fighting with him every night. Yeah. I think the yeah, kid great. Think goes to bed at... 1230 in the morning, but whatever um, <laughs> goes to sleep. Or maybe.
1: So you may even back that, you know, back it in even earlier. So in bed at eight o'clock, maybe then he gets to sleep at 11. I mean, gosh, that yeah. makes me, that's so late. But anyway. Yeah, I know. But So we we always go to the, the problem that we're having and find a specific solution for that
0: rather than doing these, you know, desperation parenting moves. Okay. And then, and then as we talked about before, relating it back to the the the, more of the natural consequence of the situation, which I love. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay.
1: Okay. But here's the thing for your listeners. I think we always just have to come back to that misbehavior is always a two-way street. And so we have to remember that we're not in this to fix our kids. We always have to look at our contribution to the behavior as well. So, you know, how are we showing up? Are we doing that every day, that emotional connection with our kids? Are we looking at our energy? Are we trying to control everything? Or are we also going to give our kids some control and decision making opportunity? Are we going to give them the opportunity for the redo? Are we going to walk away from the power struggle or are we going to get in the middle of it? You know, so there's lots of things that we can do, lots of tools that we can use, but Again, our long-term job—we're parenting for the long game, not the not the in the moment short game—because our job is to prepare them to be happy, successful, fully functioning adults, so they can go out into the world and do amazing things. And so we can look back and know that yes, we did an awesome job—we created and and launched um, successful human beings. So you just had a graduate, right? Is
0: yes, that your, is that yes. your oldest?
1: That was my youngest. He just oh. graduated um, virtually, unfortunately. Oh, I know. So, yeah, I have oh. one who's married and one who just graduated from college and is starting his real job in August. Oh.
0: And so we will officially be empty nesters. I've always thought about it. I want to sit down with her kids. <laughs> mm.
1: They're such I, nice
0: people. I, I bet. I bet. <laughs> in spite bet. of me. I know. Not in spite of you,
1: because of you. No, they're, they're lovely people. And I always say that, uh, you know, they're, they're nice people that I think, you know, if they weren't my kids, I'd love to, you know, I, I'd love to be friends with them just because they're lovely people. But I always think it when I look back when they were younger and I was like the crazy yelling mom, and I'm still a crazy mom, but um, I'm glad that when they were younger, I learned some parenting tools because I was, I was a wreck, a train wreck.
0: Yeah. And then, and by the way, that is one of the reasons I started this podcast, because I think the, the overall message here is that we want to better ourselves at this stage of our lives so that we can live the later part of our lives in peace and harmony, right? We, Mm -hmm. we, we want to be able to take these tools now so that that's whether it's taking care of ourselves, whether it's taking care of our children, being a better mom, a wife, um, a partner, or in everything that we do, let's learn those now, so that we're not at a certain age going, "Oh God, I wish I had known that." And, and granted, I, I know that every ten years we look back saying, "I wish I knew this ten years ago." But um, you know, if we can do the work now, I think that's important. I think it comes back to parenting too. If we only, I only have, I'm looking at it now. I don't have that many more years with my daughter at home, and you know, I just want these years to be as good as possible doing the best I can. Absolutely. And I think it's awesome
1: to let your kids know that you are still working to be the best mom, best dad you can be. And even if it's every other day, say to your kids, you know what? I messed this up. This interaction that we just had 15 minutes ago and the way I said something to you, I messed that up and I'm trying to do better. Let them know that you're always doing better or you're trying to do better. It's such good modeling for them to see that. Mm-hmm. So empowering for them.
0: So Amy, um, before you go, at the end of my show, I always ask everybody this one question. So it has nothing to do uh, with parenting. But what would you tell your early 30-something self today? Oh. If you could give yourself a piece of advice.
1: Just to relax about everything more. Just to enjoy it more. Don't be so uptight about everything. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's what I would tell every parent now. Just enjoy it more. It's obviously easier to say that, um, but it's a good thing to, even if you are losing it? If you're not enjoying it, if you you are in that moment, it's a good thing even just to say to yourself, just as a reminder, even if you're not able to do it just then. <laughs> but um, but but still, it's it's a great reminder. Well, thank you oh. so much for for coming on the show, and I know that we're going to get a million questions from this. And can you please let everybody know how they can find your books as well as your course online? Yes, thank you so much. So. Your listeners
1: can find our seven step parenting success system by going to our website, which is Positive Parenting and they can find my books, The uh, Me 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 Epidemic. And if I have to tell you one more time, both on Amazon, and I'm sure you'll have the links and everything. And I thank you so much for having
0: me, Doran. This has been so much fun. We need like three more hours. I know, I know. And 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 I just want to mention one other thing. Um, if you sign up for the um, the Seven Step Parenting Success System, it is something you are going to use for life. I'm not good at sales, so if unless I believe in something, and I truly believe, there have been moments where you know I haven't looked at it in months, and then I refer back to something and it's a reminder and it's always available to you. So it's helpful. I will also link to it on my Facebook page, Instagram page, and eventually that website that I haven't gotten up yet because I haven't had time. So <laughs> all in good time. Yes. <laughs> Thank you again. And I hope to talk to you soon. I'd love to have you back if you're interested. That would be so much fun. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to, to you soon. You. Bye. Bye. Thank you again to Amy McCready for being on my show. Amy's information will be both on social media and Facebook at It's Not a Crisis Podcast. Always, as usual, please email me if you need any follow-up information at itsnotacrisis at gmail.com. And also feel free to send any direct messages or emails if you have questions for Amy. She's happy to answer those. Thank you very, very much for listening. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I have a lot of great episodes lined up and ready to be recorded soon. So I will let you know about those on social media. And I hope you all hang in there. And I'll see you next time.